you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined this week by critics Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com and co-host of the Breakfast All Day YouTube and podcast series, Andy Klein of AV Club and Charles Solomon of Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. We begin with the crime thriller The Marsh King's Daughter. It stars Daisy Ridley, Ben Mendelsohn, and Garrett Hedlund. Neil Berger is the director, and it's co written by L. Smith and Mark L. Smith, based on a novel of the same name by Karen Dion. Andy, please uh, tell us your impressions of The Marsh King's Daughter. Wow, this is this is a very suspenseful film. I would say at times almost unpleasantly so, but that's, you know, that's uh, regular for the genre that uh, you're really on your, your seat's edge for a bunch of it. Uh, the setup is that a uh, a guy who's a recluse who lives in the middle of a marsh kidnaps a woman, rapes her, and there's no way he's they're so far from civilization. It takes like a boat and a car and all this stuff to get out of there, so the woman can't escape. And she has a daughter who I guess is about twelve at the beginning of the film, who is totally bonded with the father, who has forced himself to like teach her to hunt and to be a wild person in the woods and finally they escape and dad gets locked up but the young girl grows up into Daisy Ridley who is presumably whose star power got this made and uh, is married has a kid has a straight job nobody knows about her background Mm. she has totally suppressed it has not told her husband or anybody and of course, Dad, who's now been in prison for years and years, escapes, and he's mm-hmm. after her and her little girl. He wants to get them both and take them back out into the marsh. And it's an intense film, it sounds like. Yes, and part of the problem is she really loved her dad. I mean, her dad is a totally evil jerk, but because of this bond they had, it's you know, it's not like she can just go kill him which she should yeah. be able to do uh and uh it gets just really tense and i i was on the edge of my seat for christy much did it. it work for you the same way i was sitting back in my seat andy <laughs> i was nowhere near the edge of it i would like to have inched toward the edge of it there's a weird languid quality i, I think to the way the middle section on plays out when it should be very very suspenseful um it's it's so good in the beginning brooklyn pierce plays this character as a little girl she was of course the star of the florida project has just oh, tremendous yeah, so presence such wisdom beyond her years but nothing precocious about her and so you feel like that feral 
quality in her when she's with Ben Mendelsohn. He's got to have been de-aged Ben Mendelsohn in, in the woods when it's this flashback to her childhood. The one cool thing with this movie is how Daisy Ridley, as the adult version of this character, uses all of the tricks and the tracking and the hunting skills that he taught her, but within like the banality of suburbia. Right. The way that he she knows he's free and she knows he's coming after her and uses his own tricks against him to then go and hunt him. That I thought was really interesting. But there is so little to this life that she has crafted for herself. There's so little to her marriage with Garrett Headland. Like he makes some reference to I'm going to go sleep at the office tonight. It's like, what does he do? Who is he? True. Nothing to them at all. And they have a little girl. And Again, nothing about that life felt rich or lived in or detailed enough for me to root for her to fight for it. And so, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn is always a really interesting villain, just showing up and just that richness of his voice. There's such menace to his presence. And Daisy Ridley, ordinarily, as as Ray, of course, in the later Star Wars films, has um, like a, a wiry quiet intensity to her. I wish there were more to everybody here. And I wonder whether there was a, a richness on the page. This is based on a novel. I wonder whether that kind of like where the crawdads sing. I wonder if it's like that where as a book you feel this world and here it just feels a little superficial to me. Uh, I, I'll buy your point about uh, her current life being not really filled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was directed by Neil Berger. Mm-hmm. And it's really not up his alley. His last thing that I saw was The Illusionist. Right. He did Limitless and the first Divergent film. Like, There's usually a great fervor to his films, and that's lacking here, I think. The Marsh King's Daughter is in wide release. It's rated R. Fingernails, uh, a romantic sci-fi drama, stars Jeremy Allen White, Jesse Buckley, and Annie Murphy. Uh, Riz Ahmed in the cast as well. Uh, Christos Niku is the director and co-screenwriter of Fingernails Christie. So this has a sort of cool quiet future retro futuristic vibe to it. Like it might be the 80s or it might be 20 years from now. We're not quite sure but sort of out of place and time in a way that's intended to put you on edge from the beginning. It's a world in which people are having to take these tests to prove that they are truly in love with each other. It's a really interesting concept that they explore in kind of like understated sci-fi ways. Like this is not high tech at all. The thing, the test they do, I don't want to talk about it because I had to look at it through splayed fingers of my own. It's creepy. It yeah. give, well, it gives the film its title. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. And so uh, I think we can say what it is. I, I, I think we have they, to. They have to tear out one of your fingernails. To test it. The two people's fingernails get put into this love tester. It's like an easy bake oven, essentially. Yeah. It's and very low tech. They could just tell us that. They wouldn't have to show what that is. Oh, you got to but... see it. Oh, yeah. And there's also a whole bunch of like really bizarre tests they have to go through where like one of them is blindfolded, and, like has to smell for the other. Like a bunch of strangers take their shirts off, and you got to smell for your partner and figure out if you know who it is. Um, this director, Christos Niku worked with Yorgos Lanthimos. And this feels like a Yorgos Lanthimos mm-hmm. light kind of vibe to it in that it's a little surreal and a little off-putting, but there's something quirky and weird about it that you can't resist. But it's it lacks both the the poignancy of, I think, some later Yorgos Lanthimos, like The Lobster, but also like just the outright weirdness. It's almost like a, like a diluted Yorgos Lanthimos film. But I really like Jessie Buckley always. She has great chemistry with yeah. Riz Ahmed. Jeremy Allen White to this and then gets nothing to do. It's a travesty. We're talking about fingernails. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Well, 
I thought the whole premise was so ridiculous. And, and uh, you know, uh, come on. You do not, there's no love test. There never will be a love test in which your fingernails somehow process uh, the definition of true love. And you take, you know, an hour and 45 minutes before it seems that, like, maybe society has taken a wrong turn here. And so for me, even though, yes, the actors were quite good. Riz Ahmed was great. So and charismatic. So, yeah. Uh, but I just, I felt like uh, that this, I thought it was silly. <laughs> <laughs> Fingernails is the film again. It's directed by Christos Niku, who co-wrote the screenplay. It's rated R in select theaters, streaming on Apple TV+. The biographical drama Rustin takes us back to the 1963 March on Washington and tells the story of uh, Bayard Rustin, who uh, was a leader in the black civil rights movement and who also was gay. Coleman Domingo stars in the film with Chris Rock, Glenn Turman, and Audra McDonald. George C. Wolfe, the noted theater director as well as director of film, uh, is the director of Rustin. Julian Brees and Dustin Lance Black wrote the screenplay. Andy? I thought this whipped by in a minute. I thought it was very well done. Uh, Coleman Domingo is totally compelling. Some of the casting uh, put me off. You have Chris Rock as one of the, I forget which one of the uh, leaders of the civil rights movement. And, you know, I'm looking at him and he's Chris Rock. But it really does deal with this issue of him being gay baited and having to stay in the background the entire time, even as he's the main organizer of the big march on Washington, which is the event around which the film is based. I mean, it's basically deciding to do it and then organizing this amazing effort that got, what, a quarter of a million people, I think, and where Martin Luther King gave the speech. Uh, and but, but Rustin keeps getting sidelined because people throw his homosexuality at him. And it's a real struggle for him. Uh, he appears later in life to have really, I mean, he was already upfront about it. So he had to keep his, his identity, he, rather than give up his homosexual identity, he had to just stay in the background of the civil rights movement. But still he got gay baited on and on and on. And later he dealt with gay issues as a politician. Uh, most of the cast, Glenn Term, and a lot of people in here are very good, and I just wish Chris Rock had not been cast. Rustin <laughs> is the biographical uh, drama we're talking about. Christy? Yeah, I never forget that I'm watching Chris Rock either. Yep. And everything he's doing. Um, Coleman Domingo is awesome in this. It is this very showy role in a very showy film that is so outrageously over the top at first that I could not decide, is this awesome or is this terrible? Like, it's so captivating. And then as it settles down and you see the shadings and the nuance to it, I mean, he's just a, a tremendous electrifying performer. And so it's just a, a blast to see him, you know, seize a really meaty role like this. I feel like this film worked better when it was exploring 
his homosexuality and how he functioned as a gay man in the 1950s, early 60s in the United States, more than the actual planning of the March on Washington. I almost wouldn't even have shown the March on Washington Mm -hmm. because we've seen it so many times and it is so iconic. And so once we get to that point, it almost feels like people standing around saying things to each other about history. It almost feels like they're not even real people and they're just going through the motions. But when it's about human beings and their longings and their sufferings and their loneliness and their desire to make a difference against all odds, that is very exciting. Um, this is a, It's very showy in the way it's edited. It feels like it's edited kind of like jazz. George C. Wolfe also did Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And so there's a lot of great fervor to it. Um, Andy, you mentioned Chris Rock and Glenn Turman. Audra McDonald is awesome in like two scenes. CCH As Pounder. she always is. So good. CCH Pounder, who I didn't recognize. Right. I haven't seen her in anything in years. From The Shield. She's so good in The Shield. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is very good in it. I want to mention. It's a great cast. Yeah, Adrian yeah. Warren in like a couple of scenes as one of the organizer's wives has this exquisite piece of acting on the phone. Such a good scene. Anyway, there's a lot I liked about it, but kind of ultimately feel like here's a history lesson for you but it's a history lesson that i think a lot of folks probably need and don't know yep we're talking about rustin starring coleman domingo directed by george c wolf it's rated pg-13 in select theaters and in two weeks it'll be streaming on netflix the tunnel to summer the exit of goodbyes uh an animated fantasy drama charles please tell us about this uh, japanese production Well, the film focuses on two teenagers who have damage and a lot of baggage. Kaworo's little sister died in an accident, and then his family fell apart. His mother left, his father took to drinking, who screams at him and slaps him around. And then uh, Anzu, a girl from Tokyo, arrives. She's been disowned by her parents because she wants to follow her grandfather's metier of being a manga artist. So she's living in a uh, her uncle's old apartment in this little fly-speck uh, town out in the, the wilderness where train service is often interrupted because the train has hit a deer or a wild boar. And they discover the Urashima Tunnel, which is a reference to Urashima Tara, the Japanese Rip Van Winkle story. And the tunnel will give you what you want, but there's a price that every second you spend in that tunnel is much, much more time in the outer world. So you can go in looking for what you need, what you seek, but again, you pay a price. And when Kauro first discovers this, he thinks he's only been gone a few minutes and found his sister's shoe. And his father is having fits because he's been gone a week. So you have two characters with very strong needs uh, dealing with this supernatural that can help them, but exacts a price in a way that we're not used to uh, in animated films. And Kaoru is pretty much a fairly standard anime hero. You know, he's a nice, withdrawn teenage kid who's been treated so harshly that he's turned in on himself. Anzu is someone who can't suppress the artistry in her. Even if it costs her her parents, she has to draw. And so the two of them form a bond that neither of them expects. 
And while it's not a perfect film, it's a very interesting one. We're talking about the film written and directed by Tomohisa Toguchi, The Tunnel to Summer, The Exit of Goodbyes. The film's in Japanese with English subtitles, unrated, and it's screening at multiple AMC locations. We have more films to talk about with our critics Charles Solomon, Andy Klein, and Christy Lemire, all coming up in this full hour of Film Week. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Andy Klein, Christy Lemire, and Charles Solomon. Next up is the film that is uh, set in Libya for daughters. Uh, the film directed by Kauther Ben Hania, who's a Tunisian director, uh, and uh, the film is unrated. Christy, what did you think of Four Daughters? I love this movie, and it might end up on my top ten list at the end of the year. Wow. It is just extraordinary. It's just emotionally so powerful and just so inventive in its structure. So it's a documentary about this woman, Ulfa Hamruni, who is Tunisian, who has four daughters, hence the name. The two elder daughters run off with ISIS. The two younger daughters stay put. What they have done here is they have actors, actresses, playing the older two daughters to fill in and reenact scenes from the family's life. They also have an actress, a fantastic Tunisian actress named Hen Sabri, who plays Ulfa Hamruni. And sometimes they are sitting side by side, dressed exactly alike. And the real-life mother can tell the actress playing her what she was thinking or feeling at certain moments. And the actress is there because some things are just too painful to relive. And she just can't do it. And so the actress takes her place. And it's this fascinating examination of truth and emotion and within this really intentionally artificial structure these great emotional authentic moments shine through like things that people had not been able to discuss like things that the younger kids didn't want to talk about in remembering their older sisters really painful memories and great catharsis ultimately result from this it reminded me a lot of American Splendor do you guys remember that movie yeah, yeah. from 2003 so it was also kind of a hybrid documentary where Paul Giamatti is playing the comic book artist Harvey Picard but then Harvey Picard is also sitting right next to him and they're like commenting on all the same events that happen in their life this is not in any way funny like that yeah. it's really heartbreaking and really shocking um but i was just mesmerized 
and surprised by it over and over again. It's incredibly moving, incredibly well acted. And just the presence that the real life daughters and mother have and the bravery in revisiting this very painful part of their lives, which is still ongoing, um, was just extraordinary to me. So go see it. Well, and the director, uh, Ben Hania, mm-hmm. I mean, this seems like a risky thing for her to do because it could come mm-hmm. across, you know, when she started, I'm sure she's trying to avoid it looking like an actor's exercise or or in some way removing from the horrors that but sounds like it actually takes you to greater poignancy in right. seeing these relationships. Right. It's almost like you need that buffer. Like you need something to to move through to help you get to the truth. It's, you know, in a way that maybe looking somebody in the eye and just talking to them about it might not do. So I was just amazed by it. It's it's great. The documentary's in French and Arabic with English subtitles. Four Daughters, again, from director Kauther Ben Hania, is available to be seen on the screen at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. What Happens Later, a romantic comedy starring Meg Ryan and David Duchovny. Ryan directs the film, which is written by Stephen Dietz, Kirk Lynn, and Meg Ryan. It's adapted from Dietz's play, Shooting Stars. Andy? Uh, This is, I thought, a a mild rom-com. It did not entirely work for me. Uh, The hook is great. It's a nice meet-cute. These two people who are both waiting for connecting flights, and of course the weather, as it so frequently is now, is constantly delaying, and the airport keeps saying, okay, you can get to your flight, and then as soon as you get there, they say, no, we can't take off. And the entire cast, they are the only two people with speaking parts in the entire film, except for the voice of the PA system of the airport, which functions kind of like Hal in 2001, but also is like the magical realism in Steve Martin's L.A. story, which really reminded me of that. And it's clear that the airport's manipulating them. Uh, they're ex-lovers, and they try. They start hashing over their relationship and what went wrong and all the things that were said and weren't said. And uh, it goes through a lot of changes but I didn't really feel the great chemistry between David Duchovny and Meg Ryan. Mm. I That did not work so well for me. Uh, and that is sort of the central thing in this film. So it it was a problem. We should mention Stephen Dietz, who co-wrote the screenplay and from whose plays adapted, is one of the most staged playwrights in the world. It seems like you're looking at his his uh, list of plays. He does like every six months a new play, <laughs> and they get produced. It's it's amazing. Uh, what did you think, Christy? I liked it a lot better than you did, and I thought they had lovely chemistry. I thought because they are such veterans and such pros that they take these characters who are clearly intended as types, and they find avenues into that dialogue in inventive ways and warm ways which like in the hands of actors who maybe aren't so experienced might seem clunky or just not land right um, she is kind of a middle-aged version of the manic pixie dream girl you know she's got she's a healing artist and she <laughs> wears like boho chic flowy dresses and carries a rain stick with her to do healing ceremonies and and she's like she believes in the magic this all takes place on leap day by the way this is very important and he is like buttoned down. He's vaguely corporate. He's like sardonic and believes in nothing. Um, But as they get into this and they bicker and they banter, you realize like, 
only they could confide these things to each other because they have that shared history still. Um, yes, there is this magical bubble that they're stuck in this airport, and you realize eventually that this is not reality because there are no other people in the airport. <laughs> there are no there are no people getting drunk at the airport because they can't get on their plane like this. And but that also creates this lovely kind of warm, sweet bubble for them to exist in. And she's got an eye to create a, a lovely, memorable romantic scene. There's a whole scene taking place on the sky bridge where it's glass on both sides and the lights from the tarmac like shimmer and refract and create this lovely scene for them to, to dance. There's also a very funny bit involving 90s songs. This whole thing is like a 90s Meg Ryan throwback. Mm-hmm. 90s songs, but horribly tinny, upbeat covers of them of Alanis Morissette and Cheryl Crow like it's all very intentional um so yeah it's it goes on a little too long but it's a sweet like laughter through tears sitting on the couch Saturday afternoon movie and it's dedicated to Nora Ephron which is a nice poignant touch at the end yeah given Meg Ryan's performances in Ephron's work what happens later starring Meg Ryan and David Duchovny Ryan directed the film written by Stephen Dietz and adapting his play shooting stars Kirk Lynn and Meg Ryan it's rated R in select theaters Digimon Adventure 2, The Beginning, uh, is a film directed by Tomohisa Taguchi. Uh, We talked about uh, an earlier uh, film, uh, Japanese animated film. Charles, share with us about this movie. Well, the Digimon franchise has been around since 1997. It kind of grew out of the Tamagotchis. Remember the little pocket robot things? And there's a group of kids who have their digi-devices and they have that can summon characters who, you know, help them in their adventures. Uh, an enormous digi- Digimon egg forms over Tokyo Tower, and this leads the usual kids to uh, Louis, who was the, uh, when he was abused as a little boy by his mother, he had him locked in the snow, the first Digimon appeared to him, and then it tried to please him. It didn't understand what it was supposed to do, and he got furious and smashed his digi device, so harming the the uh, the creature. So now, years later, they're trying to sort this all out, and it ultimately means the characters have to sacrifice their devices, and just relate to their you know magical friends directly. And it carries, I think, an excellent message for kids, which is you have to put away your devices and talk to each other directly. You have to have discussions. You have to realize that sometimes you're wrong, sometimes your friend is wrong. Uh, You have to meet in the middle, and you just can't use a machine as a substitute for friendship and human relations. Parents are going to love this film. (laughs) There's no question. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wrenching at times with how badly this poor boy was treated and, you know, the problems he's still dealing with. But I think that message is something that is so good for kids for a change that uh, it's it's well worth seeing. We're talking about Digimon O2, Adventure O2, The Beginning, directed by Tomohisa Taguchi. The film's unrated, and you can see it next Wednesday and Thursday in select theaters. Quiz Lady is centered on how uh, two women, uh, sisters, uh, come together to try and pay off their mother's gambling debts. It stars Aquafina and Sandra Oh. Jessica Yu is the director. Jen D'Angelo wrote the screenplay. Andy? I really like this film. It's not special, but I thought it was really quite funny. And Aquafina does this deadpan that I love. Uh, 
Jessica Yu is a director who whose work I fell in love with when she her first short, uh, Sour Death Balls. If you remember, it was a live action thing. It was just reactions of people sucking on hard candies <laughs> that were incredibly sour. And it had this incredibly wry attitude to it. She followed it up with a short documentary that won an Oscar. And then her first feature several years later really was disappointing. This to me has all the sort of attitude that I expect from Sour Death Balls. Um, uh, Aquafina is this absolute game show freak for one show, which is obviously patterned after Jeopardy, with yeah. Will Farrell playing the Alex Trebek character. <laughs> uh, and Jason Schwartzman is the current champion and a total jerk. Uh, and she she can nail everything. She knows everything, but she's terrified of doing the show, but is forced into it when these uh, gamblers who her mother owes money to kidnap her, her dog. Um, there's great chemistry between Sandra O oh and Aquafina. Uh, I, I hated Sandra O's character for the first part of the film, but actually she redeems herself. I thought it was very pleasant. Quiz Lady is the film from director Jessica Yu, Christy. It is really sweet, but slight, and uh, just a sort of a nice, pleasant diversion. It's kind of cool to see a different role for Aquafina. I mean, she has this indelible kind of screen persona, this brand of being, you know, smart alecky and having a lot of swagger and being a little irreverent. And here she is just like tight like she's just uptight and she is closed off and the whole process of going on this game show finally like brings out her personality and that's kind of fun to see and she you're right and she and Sandra Oh have a really fun chemistry with each other Sandra Oh is playing somebody who is kind of wild and and daffy she's also kind of a manic pixie dream girl but she has a really good heart and to watch the two of them reconcile and help each other is nice I really like the details of the quiz show because it feels totally real but like a a little bit off kilter. It's like a little bit strange, a little bit over the top. And um, Will Ferrell is, of course, perfect as a game show host, as an Alex yes. Trebek type. He's done this. <laughs> All right. Quiz Lady is the film. It's rated R and it's streaming on Hulu. Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project looks at the life of the poet who's been a guest with us on Air Talk a number of years ago. Uh, the film is narrated by Taraji P. Henson and directed by Joe Brewster and and Michelle Stevenson. Uh, Christy, what do you think of Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project? Uh, Nikki Giovanni is just so cool, isn't she? Just yes. so wise and so warm. And just being in her presence alone is more than enough. He has this great wealth of archival footage of her doing interviews. She's talking to James Baldwin in several of them. And, and just watching her now with her partner and their dog, watching her go to speaking engagements and book signings. And just she is truly who she is. We talk a lot about the importance of authenticity in creating a brand, right? She is totally who she is all the time. And it's like she always was. And there's such wisdom in her words, both in just what she says when she's giving a speech and in her writing, that I like stopped the movie a couple of times and was like, whoa, like just the truth bomb of it is just, it is transcendent over, over decades here. And uh, just to, it feels like a real privilege to watch this. There's a cool kind of pastiche 
punchy sh- structure to it where we're seeing stuff from the civil rights movement. This would be a good companion piece to Rustin in that regard. Um, Taraji P. Henson is reading a lot of her poetry. And um, just to see that she's so generous with her time and with her wisdom, but also if she gets asked a question that she thinks is dumb or she thinks she's already answered, she will say so. <laughs> in a very direct way. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she was never rude to you, Larry. Yeah, she was never rude. To, she was very nice, actually. It's a really cool film, though. I recommend it very highly. A, a formidable creative artist. Yeah. Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project. It's an HBO original documentary, but it's in theaters uh, at Lemley's Royal in West L.A., and then it'll be streaming on NAC Max coming up next year. The Grand Jury Prize winner in U.S. documentaries at Sundance. For fans of the Rolling Stones, I should just mention the Nick Broomfield directed The Stones and Brian Jones looking at relationships and rivalries within The Stones will be screening just one night only at the Lemley Theaters. That's going to be next Tuesday, November 7th, so and then available on demand. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. All seven states on the Colorado River may have to cut back water, but not everyone agrees on how. From Coloradans who blame others for the crisis. There continues to be a look upstream to solve a problem that we did not create. To farmers who may lose their livelihoods. We don't want to cut equal with everybody else. Will they reach a deal in time? Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.